White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep array! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good morning and welcome in. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Connor has the day off. Tyler Rocky sitting in today. I'll also be with you for White Sox pregame coming up at 1.30. White Sox and Twins, game three of the four-game set. First pitch set for 2 o'clock sharp today out at Target Field. The White Sox now in the midst of a four-game winning streak. And they'll look to try to move that to five. Lance Lynn on the mound tonight. Rather, I should say this afternoon against Dylan Bundy, the righty for the Minnesota Twins. What a win it was last night for the White Sox. They come around and the power is starting to restore itself with this White Sox team. And that's one of the things that hampered them early on in the season. But they got some power late off the bats of Tim Anderson as well as Adam Engel. And that was all the White Sox would need in their 6-2 victory over the Minnesota Twins. Let's take a listen back to how it all went down last night at Target Field. Tim with a high fly out in the deep left center. Gordon is back at the fence. And it's a home run. Gordon tried to leap and take it away, but he couldn't get it. And the White Sox lead 3-2. That's his sixth home run of the season with 3-2 coming. Line and caught. Tim Anderson went way up, and he took away a hit from Kepler. Anderson at second, Moncada at first. The pitch hit in the air out in the deep left. It's back there, and it is gone! Adam Engel in for Luis Robert. Just hit a three-run homer. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Four-game winning streak for the White Sox right now. They'll look to try to make it five later on this afternoon. Good to see the bats heating up. I think that's been one of the biggest sort of revelations during this uh, four-game winning streak. You're seeing everyone contribute in the power department. Adam Engel, fresh off the bench last night. Luis Robert had to leave the game early due to some lightheadedness. Luis not in the lineup today. We'll keep you posted on what the whole lineup looks like. We'll get you that later on in the show. But it's good to see the power numbers starting to improve for this White Sox team. And if you've got a thought on it, 312-332-3776, we'd love to hear from you as well. The big question that I want answered from White Sox fans right now. Four-game winning streak. You're guaranteed going into the All-Star break, winning four of six against divisional teams that are above you in the standings right now. What more do you need to see as a White Sox fan that is going to totally buy you into this is the turnaround stretch for this White Sox team here in 2022? 45 and 45, you're back at 500, but you haven't been above 500 since May 22nd. I think step one is certainly getting above 500. And listen, you can look across baseball right now and see all of these different teams like the Orioles and the Mariners. The Mariners in the middle of a 12-game winning streak. The Orioles just had their 10-game winning streak snapped last night. Those are two teams that have completely changed the tenor of their season over the course of two weeks. But 
you don't have to build Rome overnight with this White Sox team. You don't have to go out there and win 10 in a row. But at some point, you are going to have to take 8 of 10. And is this the start of that stretch for the White Sox right now? 6-4 and four over their last 10 games, winning 4 in a row right now. You sit 3 games back of Minnesota. And again, when you've got this 4-game series against the Twins, you have a chance to make these 2-game swings. You go out and win today you're two games back of the lead. And if Cleveland doesn't win, you jump them in the standings. If you go out and lose today, you're now four games back. And who knows, maybe Cleveland gains a game on you as well. There's all this stuff. And again, it's a huge series right now. We are in the middle of July and the standings are starting to be watched day in and day out. I think if you are the White Sox right now, you do not have to go out and win 10, win 12 games like we've seen the Orioles and the Mariners do over the course of the last two weeks. But you do have to start winning at a higher clip right now. Get an 8 out of 10 stretch. Maybe get a 9 out of 10. And if you're doing it against teams like the Twins and the Guardians, that is certainly going to shape you up because I think you're going to hit a certain point within this divisional race. I don't think we're going to see a lot of shuffling towards the end of the season because there's a lot of divisional games for all of these teams once we hit September. And I think by that point, you're going to see which teams are hot, which teams are not, and you're going to start to see some of these teams really rack up victories against these divisional opponents that they're in the race. And you're going to start to see some of them knock some of each other out. That's just the nature of what happens when you get to that point where you play a lot of divisional opponents. We're seeing it right now with the White Sox. They entered this series five games back. All of a sudden, they sit three. And when you put together wins against divisional opponents, you're going to set yourself up for a lot of success. 312-332-3776, if you want to hop on into the conversation, what more do you need to see out of the White Sox? And again, there's still plenty to do. But what more do you need to see to completely buy into this is the turning point. There have been a couple points in the season this year where you thought, okay, this team is starting to figure things out. This is going to be the series we look back to and say, huh, that's the turning point. That is the shift in the season. Some people thought, hmm, it's going to be after that San Francisco sweep, but then you drop some games to divisional teams like Minnesota and Detroit And it starts to change the way you think about this team. There are a couple other points. That series against the Yankees earlier on in this season. But then you turn around and you lose a few to Boston. And the Cubs and Toronto. And things start to look ugly again. So what is it going to take for you as a White Sox fan to fully buy into that? Hey, this is the turnaround right here in the season. 312-332-3776. We're going to talk to Jesse Rogers coming up at 1230. We'll also hear from Liam Hendricks as well. He was on our flagship station, ESPN 1000 in Chicago, and he talked with Waddle and Sylvie earlier this week. He was fantastic, as he always is. So we will talk, at, or we will hear that with Liam coming up at noon. And also, White Sox pitcher Lucas Giolito joins the program. That's coming up at 12.30. So we've got a, or rather, that's coming up at 1 o'clock. Jesse Rogers at 12.30. So we've got a full show for you here on White Sox Weekly on this Saturday. The White Sox coming off of that victory last night, 6-2 to two over the Minnesota Twins. You know, I look back to last night's game. For this White Sox team and a little bit 
we've talked about the power for this White Sox team. When you're getting off-the-bench contributions from Adam Engel, I know in the grand scheme of things, the home run didn't mean anything per se. The White Sox could have won that game last night without that home run, whether Adam Engel sends it over that left center field fence or whether Adam Engel strikes out in that at-bat, the White Sox still come away with that victory just based on the amount of runs that they scored and had at that time. But I do think it's important to start to see these power numbers start to rise with this White Sox team, and I think you're starting to finally see that now. Luis Robert, he had that mammoth grand slam the other day. That was fantastic to see. Tim Anderson goes yard yesterday. Just his sixth home run. Now he's missed some time over the course of the season, but his sixth home run of the year. And Adam Engel goes yard for just the second time this season. When you're getting some of these power contributions, and I know Tim's got some power in his stick, but when a guy like Adam Engel comes up off the bench and is able to go out there and put together that sort of at-bat and provide that level of insurance for a team that has really, really needed just some comfort. It feels like a lot of this White Sox season, there have been times where things just feel uncomfortable. And now all of a sudden, changing the game from a 6-2 to two, or from a 3-2 to two game to a 6-2 to two game completely changed. I mean... It felt like, especially with the way that Liam Hendricks has pitched over, really since he came off of the IL, the way that Hendricks has pitched, it feels like the game is locked down at that point. And if you're going to continue to get these sort of insurance runs after insurance runs, we saw it the other day in the blowout win over Minnesota as well. That's going to, I think just the White Sox need that level of comfort right now when they're going out and playing these games. That 7 nothing victory over Cleveland earlier this week, it had comfort to it. 2-1 to one against Cleveland, things can feel shaky. It, it can. So what do you need to see now from this White Sox team if you think that they are truly going to make the turnaround in their season? 312-332-3776. 312-332-3776. Let's head out to DeKalb and check in with Justin. Justin, you're on White Sox Weekly. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me on. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing well. So what, uh, what do you to need to see? That, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that I don't, I don't think that this team is fundamentally a good team. So um, even if they did prove themselves in the, over the next couple of weeks or months and made the, made the playoffs, uh, they're not going to make it very far until they clean up their act. So I just need them to, you know, on the bases and in the field, clean up the cons- and clean up and do it consistently as well. Yeah, and that's a fair point Justin and we appreciate the call here. If you want to jump on in 312-332-3776. Listen, they have earned that based on some of the blunders that we've seen early on in the season, whether it's on the base paths, whether it's in the field. I think the fielding has slowly but surely gotten better, especially compared to some of the stuff that we saw earlier in the season with this White Sox team, but They have earned that criticism, but you still have time to turn things around. You still have a lot of baseball left to be played. 90 games in the books right now. You still have 72 to go. So when you're a 500 team, yeah, you probably have had some of these things go wrong. When you're not just a 500 team, but a 500 team with a negative run differential as well, 
you're going to have to start to clean up some of the other things. And fundamentals surely have been one of the things that I think a lot of fans would point to this year and say, yeah, if we did this a little bit better here, if we did that a little bit better there, who knows what the season would look like right now. Maybe you're five games over 500. Maybe you're in the divisional lead right now if some of that is a little bit different. Phil is in Oak Lawn. Phil, welcome to White Sox Weekly. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, F- Phil, uh, let's get you on hold real quick. It's, it's a little tough to understand you right there. I don't know if he was underwater or what, or maybe just on lower whacker. Who knows? But uh, we will try to get Phil back on because um, he's got some thoughts on if he believes yet that this White Sox team is truly primed to make the turn. 312-332-3776. Do you believe that this White Sox team is making the turn? And if they are not quite yet, what more do you need to see for this team to show you that they have made the turnaround for this team? 312-332-3776. We will get to all of your calls and more in just a little bit on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Sox fans, join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on Friday, July 22nd, as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Guardians at 7.10 p.m. Be sure to stay after the game as well, because there will be post-game fireworks presented by He Gets Us. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. We'll take all your calls. Coming up next, it's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Greeny, 10 to noon, weekdays on ESPN 1000. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. Connor McKnight has the day off. Tyler Rocky sitting in. You'll hear Connor on the play-by-play tomorrow as the White Sox and Twins wrap up their four-game set and lead into the All-Star break as well. A much needed all-star break, I think, across baseball. And I don't know if anyone has seen these news, the news from today that's sort of taking over baseball right now. But courtesy of Ken Rosenthal, um, Juan Soto has turned down a 15-year, $440 million offer from the Nationals and Washington will now entertain trading him. So when we talk to Jesse Rogers at 1230, we'll dive into more of the larger scale baseball across the league stuff and certainly can talk about Juan Soto. I don't know if the White Sox have the package to get him. I quite frankly don't know if any team has the package to get a Juan Soto, but we'll see if a team can make it happen now that the Nationals will entertain trading the young phenom that has been so, so good, an instrumental part of their World Series run as well back in 2019. The question we've been asking everyone this morning is, what do you need to see from the White Sox to believe that this is the turn. We've said it a couple times this year. Hey, is this the turn for this White Sox team? We said it after the Yankees series. We said it after the Giants sweep. And it feels like everything just gets tempered a little bit after some of those stretches. Here we are again. The White Sox on a four-game winning streak. All of those victories coming against divisional opponents that are ahead of them in the standings. So what more do you need to see to fully buy in that, hey, This is the turnaround, and this is the White Sox team that we came into the season with World Series aspirations for. 312-332-3776. What more do you need to see? Let's go out to Beverly and check in with Chris. Chris, you're on White Sox Weekly. 
I, I think we need to see in tight games more clutch hitting, and I think what we need to really see is our our leaders like Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu come in and get those clutch hits and drive up to the confidence of the team because I believe confidence breeds confidence into the entire team. And I, I really step out as far as acquisitions to our general manager for picking up Jose or Cueto as a pitcher. I think Cueto it, it has done a great job for us, and hats off to him for picking that man up right there. Yeah, Johnny Cueto has been absolutely sensational. And, Chris, we thank you for joining us on White Sox Weekly. If you want to hop on in as well, 312-332-3776. I do have some thoughts on Johnny Cueto that I want to get to later on in the show as well. And just overall, who have been the most important parts of this first half for this White Sox team. But if you want to hop on in, 312-332-3776, what more do you need to see from this White Sox team to fully buy in that, hey, this is the turn right here. This is where we start to see the White Sox team that we anticipated at the beginning of the season. Let's go back to Oaklawn, check in with Phil. Phil, you're on White Sox Weekly. Can you hear me now? Oh, loud and clear, Phil. Good, good. Uh, So what I need to see is them getting back above 500 and maybe staying there a little while for me to buy in again. And I think my expectations have been brought back a bit as far as World Series aspirations. This is not a very good division. It's still a winnable division. You're still a sub-500 or a 500 team today. If you can maintain being above 500 and win this weak division, I'm, I'm bought in again, but my expectations aren't quite what they were at the start of the start of the season that's that's what i got yeah thanks for checking in phil and thanks for for cleaning up that phone as well three one two three three two three seven seven six i think it was very poignant point there by phil because hey you look at where the white Sox are right now at 45 and 45 in the al central you are three games back and if all goes well you could even be a game back by the time you hit the all-star break at just two games over 500 if you do take these next two from the minnesota twins now, while 45 and 45 is is third place in the AL Central, 45 and 45 right now would be last place in the AL East. 45 and 45 right now would be third place in the AL West, but you would be north of 10 games back. This is still an extremely winnable winnable division for this White Sox team. And again, I think it's a little early to to dive into the the wild card standings and, and where everything is there right now. It is Tampa Bay with the lead. They're up two and a half games. Seattle has a one game lead as well. Those are the top two spots. Remember, they expand this year, uh, so there's some extra playoff teams in the mix. Um, Toronto and Boston also with playoff spots as of today, and then after that, Cleveland. Baltimore and the White Sox. That is where your AL wildcard race sits right now. Um, but again, I, I'm going to go back to you look at what Seattle's done. You look at what Baltimore's done co- to completely change the narrative of what their season is and may completely change the narrative of what you're going to do at the trade deadline this year. I don't think you need to see the White Sox go out and win 10. But I think kind of what Mark was saying too, or Phil was saying rather, was that you have to start to get above 500, where the White Sox have not been since May 22nd, and then you have to stay above 500. And you're going to have to start 
chunking off some longer winning streaks. You're going to have to start taking 8 out of 10s, 9 out of 10s. Even a 7 out of 10, I think, for White Sox fans right now would be really, really beneficial to how you feel about this White Sox team. And Right now, you've won 6 of 10. You're on a four-game winning streak, and you've got a chance now to make up a lot of ground in the AL Central with two more games against Minnesota coming up, um, one of which today at 2 o'clock against the Twins. First pitch at 2. We'll have the pregame show for you here starting at 1.30. Mark is in Hyde Park. Mark, you're on White Sox Weekly. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm good. Um, How you doing, Mark? I'm well, man. What, what I'm looking for to these kids is for consistency in regards to strength and conditioning. I mean, because we really don't know what we're working with yet. I mean, you said we played 70 games, and if we played 10% of that seven with our entire squad on the field, that would be – I can't remember them, you know? Right. So I feel like that if um, these guys stay on the field and and kind of get some chemistry going, that we'd see the team that we, we were all expecting before, and, you know, during spring training. Yep, and that's totally fair, Mark, and we appreciate the call here. If you want to jump on in, 312-332-3776. Yeah, listen, health has certainly played a factor in the White Sox getting to 45 and 45, but I think there's been some other things, too, that have been beneficial for this White Sox team. Look at what a guy like Johnny Cueto has provided for them. Look at what Danny Mendick, before he got injured, had provided for them. Look what Sebi Zavala is doing right now for this White Sox team. How about last night with Adam Engel coming off the bench and hitting a big three-run homer for this team? Health has certainly played a part, but I think it kind of goes both ways. You've gotten some unexpected performances out of guys as well. So there's a lot to to be desired because, you ha- again, Mark's right. You don't really know what this team is at full strength because you haven't seen it. It feels like when one guy's in, another guy goes out, and you're just looking for that consistency from a health standpoint, and you can't bank on health. That's one of the – it's not just a White Sox thing. There's 29 other teams that cannot bank on health, and you're going to have to see something happen maybe at the trade deadline as well to, to sharpen some of that stuff up. 312-332-3776 if you want to hop on into the conversation Before we hit the break and hear from Liam Hendricks, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. From the old National Bank State Street Studio, you're listening to White Sox Baseball on WMVP, WSHE HD2 Chicago. When we come back, you will hear from Liam Hendricks. He was on our flagship station, ESPN 1000, with Waddle and Sylvie. Always entertaining, always fun. You will hear from Liam Hendricks. Coming up next, it's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We're on Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago. It's White Sox Weekly. Tyler Aki in for Connor McKnight today. White Sox and Twins, game three of four. Coming up at 2 o'clock out at Target Field. White Sox currently on a four-game winning streak. A big reason why some of the lockdown performances that we have seen out of Liam Hendricks. He was on our flagship station, ESPN 1000, earlier this week with Waddle and Sylvie. And here is what the closer had to say to the guys. Are you superstitious? Uh... I don't know about superstitions, but I'm steeped in tradition, maybe. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I, the reason I ask, Liam, is because I would like to kind of 
you know, talk about the stretch that you've gone on, but I don't want to mention it if you feel like if, in fact, something doesn't go great the next time out, then you want to blame us. I don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like once you take away the onus of talking about things, it uh, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you are constantly thinking about the fact, oh, I better not talk about it, I feel like that's even worse. Okay, so I will say it then. The last eight times out, eight innings, zero hits, zero runs, one walk, 11 strikeouts. Is this a good a, as good a stretch as you've been on in recent years? Uh, in recent years, I'd say so. I think I got to, uh, I think in 2015, I got to... 24 in a row, batters retired, and then drilled Moustakis and then front kneecap. So <laughs> On um, purpose? No, God, okay. no. I okay. played with Moose the time before. He was, he's awesome. I just was trying to go throw a two-seam in when I still threw two-seams. And, uh, yeah, a little too far in. It happens, right? No, I mean, yeah, they shouldn't have been standing there. <laughs> <laughs> so w- what, is, what has been the key to this success, Liam? Um, to be honest, I'm just... Uh, like it was a little bit before the uh, before I went on the IL, but I was finally hitting the fact that I was throwing breaking balls for strikes. To be honest, breaking balls around the zone, and not only that, just not overcooking things. And then the uh, the life to my hitter came back a little bit as well, which is good. Which um, I want that thing to be as straight as possible. And early on in the year, particularly in the last few years, it's always been a little bit uh, a little bit more running around. Talking to Liam Hendricks, it's Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. So we're conditioned as baseball fans these days that we hear when there's, you know, a forearm strain, you know, we start wondering, well, what's going on with Liam? When, when, when you were on the shelf and in the early stages of that injury, were you nervous or did you know that you'd be fine? No, I don't. I think anything to do with my my elbow's been banged up for years, so it doesn't really affect me too much. Um, the fact that, like, the MRI we got, a couple of people, different people, look at it, and it said that, hey, look, there's no difference in the ligament. Uh, you've just got a slight forearm strain. That obviously bodes well. The fact that my ligament's been practically uh, has some severe damage to it to begin with, but I've been up. That's been there for damn near 15 years now, so it's not exactly something that's fresh and new. So it's uh, it wasn't something that I was overly concerned with. It was just the fact that everyone hears it and then everyone goes down a rabbit hole thinking that this is what's going to happen because, unfortunately, it's like hockey. If we just did hockey, it would be completely different. Upper body injury, lower body injury. Right. Why would you do that? It's much easier. People don't jump down the rabbit hole and be like, okay, he's done for the year now. It's just it's easier. It's a good thought. It is. Hey, Liam, how, how important is this series that starts tonight with the Twins? Um, obviously, in the grand scheme of the season, it's extremely important. Um, if you look at it from a standings point of view, this is a chance to put us within, what, a game, I think, maybe a game and a half or whatever it needs to be, or has the chance of stretching this thing out to the possibility of eight or nine games. And that's, uh, that's obviously a big swing and a big uh, big change of what, what can happen. But we're in this uh, in this clubhouse. We're the opinion that it doesn't matter. We're going to be able to come back. We need to uh, rally around those last two games in Cleveland. We're obviously huge in the fact of the close game and then the game that we kind of took control of. And even when it was 4 nothing, we didn't really look like seeding it. Um, but that's something that the more we focus on, I think it's uh, we need to just go out there and play easy, play loose, and then and attack as pitches and, and uh, as attack as hitters and go out there and do what we need to do. You mentioned the clubhouse, Liam, and and you know the rabbit hole that you were just talking about. Bob Nightingale had the the report that the that he's hearing that the clubhouse is clicks and is not getting along. What can you tell us about the Sox clubhouse? Yeah, I'd love to know what his source is. I want to know if it's a uh, 
former player who is currently not with us but still in the league uh, from this year. So it'd be interesting to see if um, where that comes from. But yeah, obviously, if you talk to anybody in this clubhouse, they're going to give you the same answer, and it's it's not exactly the same verbatim answer because we all have our own feelings on it. So it's not just a scripted thing that the front office has given us. It's something that we actually truly believe in this clubhouse is the fact that we're united. We go to bat out there every single day for each other. And this is a clubhouse that has no flaws. It's not a clubhouse where everyone's going in and kind of hating each other or anything like that. It's your normal clubhouse. You're going to have days where you're a little testy. You're going to have days where you're great. And that's the ebbs and flows of this game. But there's no discord. There's no issues in this clubhouse whatsoever. There's no issues with leadership. There's no issues with clicks or people not getting along or anything like this. It's just a complete fabrication. Could it be a uh, former pitcher with a beard? Oh, I mean, I think I've said enough already. But yes. <laughs> um, so so it, it, it reminds you of last year as well, that all is well, normal clubhouse. Yeah, without it, I think there's um, obviously we had some some guys, we had some hot guys last year that uh, I don't think we quite have this year. I mean, we had Billy Hamilton, who was the ultimate cheerleader on that bench because he knew what his role was. We have guys that are doing that and trying to fill those shoes, but that's just the natural talent that Billy has, let alone his baseball talent. It's his ability to kind of be in the be in the dugout and be that person running around, high fiving, hugging everybody because of I, I, we feel that a ground ball. Like he just gets honestly excited about absolutely everything. Uh, um, but it's hard to replicate those guys. We we have no issues in this clubhouse. We're it's, it's, we have we're having fun, and that's all that matters. Uh, uh, Liam, from our perspective, it looks as if you have as good of, uh, if not the best leadership skills of anyone in that clubhouse. As a closer, as a relief pitcher, can you be the leader of a team based on your position? Does it matter? Um, I would never go that far. I think I've been around long enough where I've been through some things. Uh, and so I have a little bit more of a personal experience with the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows than uh, than some people in this clubhouse. But I would never call myself a leader. I think that's... Uh, that's a, a title that is people can say about you, but I will never ever say that about myself. And no, I think there's but there's much better leaders in this clubhouse. I think it's um, I think when you got guys like Ta and Jose Abreu, who both have very different leadership styles. Obviously, Josh Harrison has been around for a long time. Lance Lynn, Yasmani, you've got these guys that have been around for so long that know how to kind of talk to people and when to pick them up and when to do something quietly and when do we do something publicly. And that's something that. Uh, you only learn over the course of time. It's very hard to be a like a club, a full-on clubhouse leader as a reliever, just purely based on the fact that it, you're not around. I'm not in the dugout. Like I'm, I'm out in the bullpen for five, six innings a game, and that I can control. We can control our little guys out there, but it's really hard to to get into it with the position player when one, I'm only playing one inning every third day, possibly, or two you're not even around them, so you don't know it. You're hearing everything secondhand, and that's something that I don't ever want to uh, overstep my bounds and overstep what I may have heard, but it can, could be not what exactly has happened. You mentioned the sources. Uh, his report also included that Kenny Williams had to give a pep talk to the team. Is that true or false? Oh, I mean, Kenny's a, good, Kenny's a good guy to have a pep talk. He's been around this game for a long time. It was uh, it was around the announcement with, uh, with T.A.'s, uh, all-star starting selection, and that was something that uh, we're all in there for with uh, with Jerry and, and Rick and and Kenny was running around as well. So we had a, a bunch of people in there, and, and look, I think it's a great opportunity to try and uh, to talk to the team as a group because we're not all in the same room at very at all of us at uh, very often. So he had a bit of a pep talk, and then we kind of uh, 
lit a fire under our asses a little bit because I think that's what we need. It's not a leadership. It's not a uh, a kind of common a conversation that everyone wants to hear. But I think it's something that we needed to hear because yeah, you get we are currently in that the mire of uh, complacency and something that uh, we're always like, oh, okay, we'll get out of it. Well. Until we put the screws to it, we don't know if we can get out of it. And that's something that we need to believe in ourselves. It's like, we're not going to get out of it unless we start doing things the right way. Liam, do you feel like you guys may have lacked that sense of urgency leading up to this moment? And do you feel like it's kind of re- reappeared? As I said, I think complacency is, is one of our biggest killers because of the amount of talent and the group of guys we have in this clubhouse. I think that's something that you ever, anyone can fall into when you've been doing well you fall into that vice of complacency of like, okay, well, we don't have to turn it on now because it will figure itself out. Well, I run into this a lot, and it's something that you kind of have to get to the point of. Like, no, you can't, you, like, you remain complacent. That's just going to be the end of you because at some point you're going to dig yourself too big of a hole that you're not going to be able to rebound out of. Right. And that's something that I deal with almost every April for some reason. I, I'm like, oh, no, it'll turn itself around. And then I'm like, no, I need to figure this out myself. And we go attack and, and we get back to where we need to be. But uh, as a group, it's really hard to get the, the mixture of different personalities. And we we mesh really well, but everyone has different triggers. Everyone has different ideas of the way they need to get better. It could be doing less work. It could be doing more work. It could be doing different work. And everyone needs to find it out for themselves. It's a, uh, a yes, it's a team game, but it's also a very individual game. And uh, you get guys in different mindsets at the right time, and it all works in the right direction, but it could also go south pretty quickly as well. Such a good breakdown. Liam Hendricks yeah. joining us, Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. It's, um, you mentioned to us last time we were getting to know you a little bit, and we uh, were going over some facts, and you admitted that you do watch the broadcast, both home and away, of games that you pitch. So when, when Ozzy, a guy who's had great success as a player and the manager who won a World Series here, is critical or analyzing the team, is that accepted from someone like you? Look, I have no, no problem with people being critical, especially of my own personal, personal, personal experience on the mound and stuff like that, because you know what? Generally, I'm thinking the same things. What's always hilarious is to me, it's not the, uh, not the time they're being critical or anything like that. It's when they're blatantly wrong. Now, that annoys me because, obviously, at some point, you need to do some sort of work. And I understand I'm a reliever. But if someone tells me, oh, like, I completely changed when he changed his workout or he started eating better, that's just a fake, like, that lie. Because, one, I don't work out at all. And, two, I eat like crap all the time. <laughs> so this isn't against Aussie in particular. I've, uh, I love Aussie because it's, uh, we have this similar vocabulary. Yeah. And so, um <laughs> but I, I listen to both sides because you never know when you're going to pick out a little thing that may be because these, a lot of the broadcast guys are in the clubhouse. And so you get an opportunity. Like if they say this, especially as a visiting broadcast, they say something along those lines. You're like, I wonder if that's what they actually think because that's completely wrong. And I, that, that like, fills me with a lot more confidence than anything else. What is- if they think this is coming, then all of a sudden it's, they have no clue what I'm actually doing. And that's great for me. What is the go-to food that you know isn't great for you, but you absolutely love and you just cannot quit? So my at home, I have the same meal I eat every single day. And it is a Philly cheesesteak with Ooh. just the meat and the cheese Ooh. covered in hot sauce and French fries. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't be able to take the mound. I'd be in the men's room. How did you come to that? Like, instead the, the Philly cheesesteak. Uh, so I, I, last year at the start of the year, I tried, I was, I'm like, okay, Chicago, let's go to the Chicago beef. Like, and then all of a sudden I was like with the, uh, 
with the with the pickled cucumbers and celery and carrots and all that sort of stuff. I was like, no, let me just. Sometimes that's just a little too much, and so I went Philly cheesesteak, but I needed a little something to it. So we uh, we covered in some hot sauce, and then uh, wow, yeah, that's uh, that's what I got to. But in Oakland in 2020, I had a cheeseburger and fries with a, with some Doritos every day. I just had that meal that I do. <laughs> I do everything the exact same every day because I trick myself into feeling like, oh, yeah, I could feel like mom feels terrible today. But you know what? Yeah. I did everything that I needed to do, and I did the same thing I did yesterday, and I threw a school this sitting last night. So I'm ready to go today. Wow, hey, hey, Liam, I hate to bounce back to a serious question, but what is from as, – as you just said to us, like the one thing that bothers you most is when people are making comments and they're flat wrong. What is the biggest misconception do you think about your team right now from those that are critical of, of – you guys uh, i think the biggest one that pisses me off is that we don't care because that's not wrong i mean yeah look there was some stuff last night and obviously we we won the game and you there was a that close-up of one of our guys faces and he was like almost looked like relieved that we won it's like no there's no relief there's no we don't care that we we it's not like we don't care that we won or we don't care that we lose we have passion for this game but we all show it in different days and especially yesterday everyone was exhausted we had a split double header, which is the worst thing in baseball, by the way. We sat inside for four hours. What do you think is going to happen? We're just exhausted for the next three days. But not only that, it's we we have the passion here. We have, we care, but everybody shows it in a different way. Some guys have the the stone face. Some guys show their emotion on their sleeve. Some guys are completely different depending on how the game has gone. Something could have triggered them. Like I mean. Tim wore a ball off the back at 112. I think he was probably the happiest that we were that ready to be done playing at that point than anybody else. But it's it's uh, yeah, that's the one that pisses me off that we don't care because that's that's not true at all. We all have our different ways of showing emotions. We all have our different ways of showing the gratitude that we get to play this game every single day, and that's something that uh, I think, as I said, everybody's individual. The more individual you've got, different minds, you got different emotions, the way you do things. And uh, we actually, everybody in this clubhouse cares when we win and we, we care a hell of a lot more when we lose because we know that we didn't do enough. Did Dylan Cease get screwed from the All-Star game? If you look at numbers alone, 100%. But at the end of the day, the, um, it, it's, a, it's a tricky conversation to have because of there is so many people that are deserving to be there. And you also voted on this, what, a month ago? I think that may be something that needs to maybe adapt and change and move forward is the fact that you vote at a specified time, but it's a little bit later. So those guys who put on together those three or four good starts that all of a sudden can completely change their numbers, that's still accounted for. And that was something um, I think is that we could possibly talk MLB and move that forward. Um, it, it, baseball's a hard one to do an all-star game for because there's so many different intangibles. But you're looking at straight numbers, I mean, his capo nine is through the roof. His strikeouts are through the roof. He doesn't have the, the length of some of the other guys, but he's making up for it with the numbers that he's putting up, and that's something that uh, yeah, is unfortunate. I think he, uh, I think he's definitely had an all star year. And I thought I had a, I put him to the side before we got on the plane because it uh, same thing happened to me in in nineteen. I thought I had a good enough year to make it. I didn't initially. I got out of later, but Blake Trinan pulled me to the side. I was like, look, you like it's skin on your face how disappointed you were when you didn't make it. But just know that this thing doesn't define you. Don't let you don't let yourself spiral into this thing that like I don't know what I have to do to do this. He goes because Blake went through it with the uh, the reliever of the year in 2018 when um, Edwin Diaz won it, and with he had 50 something saves and Blake had a point eight and 100 strikeouts and 38 saves as well. Like had a historic year, 
But that was something I wanted to pull him aside. I was like, you know, the best way to combat this, it's not not to worry about that little gold star that's next to your name or anything like that. It's the fact that you go out and win a star young guy. You go out there and prove to everybody they made the wrong decision picking anybody else other than you and go out there and win the Cy Young or go out there and put yourself into the position of you are one of the best pitchers in this game and do it for an entire season and then you can talk and then be like, hey, look, these are the numbers I had at the break, but I wasn't good enough to make the All-Star team. Now I'm one of the best in the league, if not the best. See, that's why you are a leader, right? I mean, that's why you are. And and, and look, you lead as well, not just in the clubhouse, uh, in baseball, but I, I admired what you said about Highland Park the other day. Um, I've admired what you said about Pride Week and, and Pride Day at the ballpark. Do you take it upon yourself uh, to to say that and to be vocal? Do you find that to be one of the the items that you must do on your job? Um, not necessarily the items you must do, but look, I'm in a position right now where I'm comfortable speaking what I believe in and what, what I'm passionate about. And these are things that if I get asked a direct question, I, do, I try not to skirt the issue. I try to answer it honestly and, and to my, the best of my knowledge. And that's something that um, I feel like is genuinely come across well. But that's just something that um, the more I do, the more I'm comfortable speaking about. And if, they, if you ask me something I have no knowledge about, I'm going to tell you I have no knowledge about it. I'm not, uh, I'm not too narcissistic to the fact that I think I know everything. But it's um, yeah, I think there's especially the things that I'm pra- uh, like I'm very very passionate about, like Pride Night. It's something that uh, my wife and I we do a lot in the community to try and advocate towards Pride uh, the community, and it's something that uh, I hope that I can inspire more people to get up there and talk about rather than the cliched one word answers that a lot of athletes seem to give. Uh, Liam, what are your personal uh, plans for the time off next week? Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I have gone with the route of my wife is the rock that has uh, that is kind of with me at every step of the way during the season. So the four days, she gets to choose whatever you whatever she wants to do, wherever she wants to go. Uh, I know we just got our Dalmatian back from training, so we're uh, we're reintegrating her into the household. And my parents are actually here, so we, uh, oh, that'll be included as well. So we've got uh, we got we got a little bit of time to kind of hang out and. And do those sorts of things, and hopefully it's uh, it's a nice rest period, and we can get back and, and turn that second half around, and hopefully do the reverse of what we did last year, where we had a really good first half and and the mediocre second half, and hopefully we have that mediocre second first half and and the really electric second half, and run with that. But uh, yeah, just a lot of rest, recuperation, and uh, some naps on the couch with the dogs. Great stuff from Liam Hendricks. That was with Waddle and Sylvie earlier in the week on our flagship station, ESPN 1000. Hey, Sox fans, from now until July 22nd, lock in your summer outing with our Diamond Suite Flash Sale. Receive up to 40% off single-game suites to select games. Take advantage of our customizable menu, scoreboard message, parking passes, and more. For more information, visit whitesocks.com slash flash sale today when we come back we'll take some of your calls matt and aurora we will talk to you and we will also get you the white Sox lineup for today as they have game number three of four coming up against the minnesota twins keep it here white Sox weekly we'll be right back chicago's home for sports you've got us espn 1000 one and one the count the pitch driven in the air deep left it's a grand slam in the second level Luis Robert opens it up. It's 6-1. to one. No doubt about that one. 452 off the bat of Luis Robert. That was a part of the White Sox 
win in the opener of this series. Game three coming up at 2 o'clock. We've got the FanDuel White Sox pregame show for you starting at 1.30. Let's get you the White Sox lineup for today. Unfortunately, no Luis Robert in the lineup today. This from Daryl Van Scowen as Tony La Russa met with the media earlier today. He says, Luis still not feeling right. They've done some preliminary tests, but they'll wait until Monday to take a good look at it. I don't think he'll play Sunday. So no Luis Robert today, and in all likelihood, no Luis Robert tomorrow as well. The White Sox, though, try to go for the sweep. They've got to take two more from the Twins, already knocking out two in this four-game set. Rest of the lineup for today. For the White Sox, Tim Anderson will lead off. He's at shortstop. Yohan Moncada in the two-hole. He's over at third base. Andrew Vaughn will take Robert's spot in the lineup as the three-hitter. He is DHing today. Jose Abreu over at first. Gavin Sheets out in right. A.J. Pollock in left. Josh Harrison at second. Sebi Zavala doing the catching. And Adam Engel, who took Robert's place last night and hit the long three-run homer yesterday. He is batting ninth and will play center field for Luis today behind Lance Lynn. Making uh, he's one and two on the season, ERA just south of seven, trying to get Lynn on track. And he's got a big one, a big test against this Minnesota team as the White Sox look to pull within two games of the division leading twins. 312-332-3776. Matt is in Aurora. We've been talking all morning about what you need to see from the White Sox to fully buy in that this is the turn for this team. Matt wants to get his two cents in. What's going on, Matt? Not much, guys. Um, I think the a few things the White Sox still need to get out of a few players is I want to see the vintage Joe Kelly that we saw in L.A. I feel like we need Yasmani to come back off the DL after the All-Star break and kind of hit it you know, strong and return to his vintage self. And as well as seeing Yohan Moncada kind of step it up a little bit, it's been kind of a disappointing season, but hoping that after the All-Star break he could possibly turn it around too. And then just hoping that, you know, if all those players click, you know, we, we could potentially see them, you know, pull out and make it to the playoffs. And I, I, I'm a firm believer, once you get there to the playoffs, records don't mean anything. It's about the will and want that these guys want to win a championship. I'm with you there, Matt. I think that you can completely erase your first half. Once you get to the playoffs, what you did in the first half of the season does not matter. I think that's a really, really good point there. And I also look at it, too, with with this White Sox team, just getting that infusion of power back to the levels that you thought it could be for this team. You look at, okay, so the White Sox have now hit multiple home runs in consecutive games for the first time this season. Just let that settle in. They hit a bunch of them on Thursday, and then last night you got the two, one from Engel, one from T.A. The White Sox now have three multi-homer games in their last four. They've hit eight home runs in their last four games. They had just 11 in the previous 14. So just let that settle in. The power is starting to regress back to the mean. And keep in mind, a lot of this has been done without Aloy Jimenez, too, who may be one of your most powerful bats in that lineup. And I think especially last night, when you look at the guys who stepped up to the plate, T.A., he's not going to be one of those guys that goes out there and hits 40 home runs. Adam Engel certainly isn't going to be one of those guys. But when they're providing you some power, especially important power, like we saw last night, where Anderson goes out there, hits a go-ahead home run, and then Engel hits a really, really important three-run insurance home run, that to me is exactly what this White Sox team needs if they do want to turn things around. 
again, I think a couple things need to go right for them. I think the power needs to stay at the level or at least be much better than what it was in the first half, and I'm pretty confident that can happen, especially now that you're seeing some of the bats start to wake up. And I think the other thing is is you have to start chunking off wins. You don't have to go on these these 10-game win streaks like you're seeing the Mariners and the Orioles get, but you do have to start taking 8 out of 10. You do have to start taking 7 out of 10. And if you start to figure that out, this is still a very winnable division. You win today, well, you're, you're going to be two games back in the AL Central with a chance to make it one on Sunday. When we come back, we will check in with Jesse Rogers. There are some big, big stories going around baseball as we head into the All-Star break, including this from Ken Rosenthal. Juan Soto rejects a $440 million offer, and the Nationals will now entertain trading him. We will talk to Jesse, see if the White Sox have some sort of package that they could offer up to get the young phenom and also go around the rest of the league as well. Hey, August 6th is International Trading Card Day, and Tops wants to celebrate with you. Visit your participating local hobby shop where you will receive a free pack of cards plus a special card if you purchase $10 or more of Tops products while supplies last. Post your pack on social media using the hashtag TopsITCD and follow along at Tops on Twitter and visit Tops.com for more information. Jesse Rogers, when we come back on White Sox Weekly. Recap the game. Cap and Jay Hood. Mornings on ESPN 1000. Run Your Socks Off is back. Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on August 7th for the Run Your Socks Off 5K presented by Planet Fitness. Racers will cross the on-field finish line and can head up to the concourse to enjoy a post-race party. Visit with vendors, enjoy the ballpark view, and more. All net proceeds will benefit White Sox charities. Learn more at whitesox.com slash run. It's White Sox Weekly. Connor McKnight has the day off. He's traveling up to Minnesota where he will be on the call tomorrow alongside Darren Jackson for White Sox and Twins in Game 4. Game 3 of the series coming up at 2 o'clock today. We'll have your pregame starting at 1.30. Tyler Rocky sitting in for Connor McKnight today. Let's talk with Jesse Rogers from ESPN. So much going on in the world of baseball right now. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us this morning. And about, what, an hour ago, we get the breaking news from Ken Rosenthal that Juan Soto has rejected a $440 million offer over the course of 15 years. The Nationals will entertain trading him now. What was your initial reaction when you saw that, Jess? Um, Oh, it's about the same amount of money I rejected from ESPN last time (laughs) around during my negotiations. I mean, it's very strategic that that leaked when it did. Um, One of the first things I thought of is there's no way he's actually going to get traded before the August 2nd trade deadline. Now I could be wrong about that. I just feel like to, to get something done in the next couple weeks of that magnitude is just going to be a a huge, huge task for a team and for the nationals because they have to choose the right guys from the other organization. Right. I I think this is laying the groundwork for an off season deal. Um, You still get two years of Juan Soto instead of two years and two months. It's still a huge deal for the Nationals, I just feel like this is one of those times where you you can lay the groundwork for your team uh, for a trade like this, and then you finish it off at the winter meetings. Now, I could be wrong about that because you just never know how front offices are, you know, what they're thinking. But I will say this. If you're a rebuilding team, you're probably going to wait for the offseason just to get your ducks in a row after the draft and all that stuff. You're in no rush, right? Also, if you're a rebuilding team – 
you better be sure you're going to contend in the next couple years because then he becomes a free agent if you can't sign him. If you're a team that's contending, you're going to have to dump half your team to get him, right? Right. And it, it just it, it, it's just a difficult trade to make in July. Um, you know, you, you mentioned before the break, I, I'm not sure the White Sox will be in the cards, uh, the cards, and no pun intended. I actually think the Cardinals are like the perfect organization to make a deal like this. They've done it before with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. They have young major league players and a, a highly, you know, pretty good ranked farm system to get something like that done. And I think that's the kind of deal you would do in December. So uh, I, I just I just feel like it's too much to overcome over the next couple of weeks, but it lays the groundwork for conversations. Okay, let's see what other teams are thinking now, and let's finish this, this off in December. Um, but if someone's really desperate, they might just give Mike Rizzo and the Nationals the kitchen sink and say, let's do it. Let's get it done. I just, I, It's weird to feel like a contender would do that, and I feel like you have to be able to contend the next couple years in case he goes to free agency. So those are my thoughts. So, Jesse, just take us behind the curtain here, all right? How much longer does it take? And you've kind of alluded to it here, but how much longer does it take to work a blockbuster trade of this magnitude for a guy like Juan Soto versus for, let's say, a lefty reliever? Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot longer. Let's put it that way. It takes a lot longer. Um you know, the far the, the the team trading Juan Soto has to hit a grand slam, right? Because they are going to get scrutinized. And so they have to make the right choices on on the on the farm with the farm system that they're trading with, you know, right? You know, the other team. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. I mean, if you're get if it's a five for one deal, it, it they have that just takes a lot of time. You have to talk to your scouts, you have to look at the video, you have to do all that stuff. And, and double check and triple check, you, you, you're you making the right decision. Um, but and, and they don't do it because of PR, but you know you're going to be scrutinized much more than when you trade for a lefty reliever for a player to be named later or a, a single-A prospect. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot more time. Um, and really on both ends, the team trading for him um, has to be willing to give up those five guys and feel like they're not giving up too much and all that stuff. So I feel like this is Mike Rizzo putting it out there a little bit now and just seeing if he can get some team to overpay because it's Juan Soto and August 2nd is approaching. Um, if he gets just completely blown away, he'll do the deal now. I, I, I just don't know it can get done because of all those moving parts. Uh, but I certainly could be wrong because how often do we see this sort of happen two weeks before the deadline? A player, In fact, we never see it. Right. He's 23. It's rare to be a player of that that great um, and only 23 years old. So uh, I just I feel like there's just too much to get something done now. It's more about kind of getting it out there and seeing what what he what he would hear in return, and then you know going to the winter meetings and and, and being open for business then again. So we'll see we'll see. It's it's sort of uncharted territory with a player that age and that good. Jesse Rogers with us here on White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. All right, so I know you said the White Sox probably aren't a likely suitor for Juan Soto, but let's play the game a little bit. What would a White Sox package for a guy like Juan Soto look like? Well, like I said, that's basically a five-for-one kind of deal, and it would start with probably Oscar Colas down in the minors, um, Colson Montgomery. I mean, they only have one top 100 
um, prospect according to MLB.com. Now the, the the Nats might think that the Sox farm system has more than that. So you you know it's one thing what you read, and it's another thing what teams believe. But it, it would start with a five for one, probably Colas, probably Montgomery. I would think one player off the major league team, and they'd probably ask for like Kopech or Cease, you know. And I just mm-hmm. maybe the Sox aren't willing to do that in the moment. But I mean, pretty much you're willing to give up anybody for him. Problem is, if he walks in two years, now you've depleted your farm system. Maybe you've won a World Series, then it's worth it. Maybe you have it, and what have you left? What are you left with? So, a team that trades for him one has to win in the next couple of years. Two has to maybe at least think there's a possibility they'd re-sign him. Now, the White Sox have never signed a $100 million player, so I'm not sure they're going to sign a $500 right. million player. So there's some things working against it, but it's a five-for-one, three, three you know, two or three good prospects down there, and probably one uh, major league player. And like I said, Kopech or Cease would probably be asked for. I don't think the Sox would do Cease. It wouldn't make much sense to deplete your farm system and give up Cease. Maybe they do Kopech and a couple, three guys down in the minors. Or maybe it Sheets and somebody from the Major League team and three guys. In the, some some combination. I don't think they have enough prospects to get it done. It would have to be Major League player like Kopech as one of the centerpieces. Jesse Rogers from ESPN with us here on White Sox Weekly. So let's get into the the all-star break here a couple things coming across the way here as uh austin riley getting added to the all-star roster uh tyler anderson and santiago espinal also added to the rosters any chance we see dylan cease work his way into the mix well it doesn't sound like it because he's pitching tomorrow unless that unless that's changed um and if he's pitching tomorrow it's not really a point of of putting him on there for tuesday uh i i, I think pretty much got to tell the guy by by today right I mean, he's got to mm-hmm. make some travel plans so um as long as he's still pitching tomorrow i don't think he's going to be at it for tuesday you know maybe that's something they talked about after the announcement last week about the the pitchers and and uh, they decided to pitch him on sunday um i bet the Sox, if he had been named would have rearranged some things to, to let him pitch on tuesday i mean that's such an honor but i don't i don't i don't foresee it happening if he indeed is pitching tomorrow so looking through, we're, we're about 90 games into the season so far. What for you, Jesse, has been the biggest revelation in baseball? Um, okay, I mean, I'll go really big picture. I mean, obviously the Yankees being as good as they are. I mean, look, they were going to be good. We just didn't know this good. So it, it, I guess you could still say that's a revelation. But I would say this, actually. Coming off the lockout and the CBT going up, even with the extra wild card, I was a little worried about the haves and the have-nots. And we have seen, you know, there's a handful of teams that are completely out of it. And I thought back on June 1st, there was going to be like 13 teams for 12 spots the rest of the way. That's what it started to look like towards the end of May, early June. And to see so many teams in the hunt now, for mostly those wild card positions. I mean, the Yankees have the division wrapped up, I think, right? Of course, mm-hmm. we thought that about the Mets. The Astros have the division wrapped up. There's a few division, good division races, obviously the AL Central and the NL Central. But what I'm getting at is there are a lot of teams still in the hunt. And I think that was the whole point of adding that third wild card. So come July and August, it's just not playing out the string for, for more than half the league. And if you look at it, I think there's like – Eight teams for the three wildcard spots um, in the American League. There's only maybe five or six for the three in the National League that have legitimate chances. 
But that's been a revelation for me over the last month or two. The fact that uh, Seattle has gotten back into it. Atlanta has gotten back into it. Philadelphia has gotten back into it. The Baltimore Orioles Mm -hmm. have gotten back into it. And if you want to talk about surprises, they're obviously near the top of the list. So uh, the intended purpose of the third wild card was to keep more teams in it. And I thought for a moment it wasn't going to actually do that. But it, but now it has. You know, we, these these teams have gotten back into it. So it's a reminder that, especially for the White Sox, it's 162 games. And and that's why in talking to White Sox players, they're just not going to give up hope at four or five games out. As bad as it's looked from the outside, they just keep talking about grinding and working and grinding and working. And the turn will come. And maybe we're seeing it. Tyler, I don't know, but four in a row is as as much as they've won in a, as many as they've won in a row since early May. Um, what I'm keyed in on are the four straight games, two runs or less. That's the that's the the best stretch of the season. They're starting to pitch really well, especially starters, and that could be the difference. Really interested to see what Lance Lynn does today. Um, so the the fact that a bunch of these teams have gotten back into the race has been quite the revelation because it really looked like there was going to be like 13 teams for 12 spots and the second half was going to be kind of boring. Yeah, so you, you bring up those teams making runs here, especially Baltimore and Seattle. I mean, two weeks ago, those are teams that you thought, okay, probably sellers at the deadline um, and not going to be in, in much of a playoff race. But now all of a sudden, They've completely flipped the switch. The Orioles had that 10-game win streak that was snapped last night. The Mariners currently in the middle of a 12-game win streak right now. How is this going to impact the trade deadline from the Sox vantage point now that the Orioles and Mariners are kind of in the thick of things? Yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to be a seller's market because there are so many teams in the race. So those teams that are selling are going to have some leverage, there's no doubt. Um, I'm not sure Baltimore is going to add that much, but Seattle is in it. I mean, they already made a trade earlier um, this year uh, during the season. The, Seattle is definitely in the hunt. So that impacts the White Sox for sure, because for a moment it looked like they they wouldn't be in the wild card race. They're in it. And if the White Sox don't win the division, they're certainly in the wild card race. So it just it adds one team Just Seattle. You know, it adds one team. I don't think the Sox and Baltimore Orioles are going to be vying for the same players. I'm not sure Baltimore is really going to do some adding. But the fact that there's seven teams for three spots, it makes the trade deadline very competitive. I think Rick Hahn is going to do everything he can to jump the market or or at least do what he can to, to, to add some arms in the bullpen. I don't think there's any doubt about that. All the contenders tend to do that. Um, as we focus on the Sox here in Chicago, I, I think that's got to be at the top of his list. We see the potential in this offense just the last few days and at different times during this year. We know that starting staff can be good. Let everybody else fight for Luis Castillo. The White Sox went out and got the best reliever on the market last year. They should do try to do similar this year, even though it didn't work out the way they wanted. They should go for the best setup man, the best seventh inning guy they can find. Maybe you try a closer on another team and, and, and you stick him in as a setup man with the White Sox. And I get it. It didn't work last year. It doesn't mean it won't work this year. Kimbrough was a, a very specific type of pitcher. Um, but there are other guys out there that have some saves under their belt that can move down to the eighth or seventh inning. So I think that's got to be at the top of his list. And yes, Seattle and, and just about every other contender is going to be looking for the same. So it, it's going to make a competitive trade deadline for sure. All right, Jess, before we let you go, I hear you're heading up to the Kaplan Lake House. <laughs> that's how you're spending your all-star break. 
Yeah, let me give you a, let me give you even better, more breaking news as it relates to the White Sox, and that is Chuck Garfine's going to be there as well. Okay, there's the also White a Sox. rumor circulating that Bob Nightingale is going to be there. Is that true? <laughs> that would be quite something. That would be that would be quite something. That'd be a lot of socks intellect up at the lake house and I'm, not, I'm not talking about myself i'm talking about chuck and bob and cap of course i don't know that rumor that i mean that that would be quite the the breaking news to be honest i thought i was giving you news that chuck was going to be up there if nightingale's up there i mean if nightingale's up there then i expect kenny williams to be up there reinsdorf's going to be up there rick Heim. We'll just bring everybody up there for the break <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the fabulous pre and post game host uh, is going to meet us up there. So we're gonna we're gonna put our heads together and come up with a good trade deadline deal for the White Sox to make by the end of the All Star break, courtesy of Chuck, myself, and Cap. So that's happening Monday in an undisclosed Wisconsin location. So what do you what else are you guys doing? Are you trading baseball cards or <laughs> what else are you doing up there? Well, we're probably gonna put some some dollars down on the home run derby just among the three of us, right? Okay. Uh, I, I, I Who like do you going, like? Well, I like going for the underdogs. Um, so, look, I don't think Schwarber's going to win it. I mean, Alonzo obviously is the favorite. Um, look, Juan Soto now is going to be front and center at the All-Star game. I think he puts on a show. Not that he's a big underdog, but I assume Alonzo's the favorite. I haven't looked. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Soto. I'm going to take, take Soto. It's too easy to take Alonzo or Schwarber, for example. I'm going to take Juan Soto to win it. Everybody's all eyes on him. His his media availability is going to be very interesting come Monday. So I'm going to say Juan Soto um, answers the questions Monday afternoon, then puts on a show Monday night. All right. Awesome stuff, Jess. Enjoy the all-star break, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it, Tyler. Take care. All right. Jesse Rogers from ESPN joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Hey, don't miss your chance to see world-renowned EDM artist Cascade perform at Guaranteed Rate Field on Friday, August 12th. The seven-time Grammy nominee and Chicago native will play a post-game concert presented by Tito's after the White Sox face the Tigers at 6.10 p.m. For more tickets, or for more information, rather, and to purchase your tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash concert. White Sox Weekly, we will be right back on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carm and the Good Kid, noon to 2, weekdays on ESPN 1000. Hey, join the White Sox as they take on the Cleveland Guardians on July 23rd at 6.15 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a Yasmani Grandal bobblehead Presented by Guaranteed Rate, the official mortgage provider of the Chicago White Sox. Visit rate.com to get started. Guaranteed Rate, a faster way home. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com. And hopefully the White Sox getting Yasmani Grandal back sooner rather than later. He's been on the shelf with a back injury. So hopefully the catcher will get back in the lineup for the White Sox. Speaking of injuries, I do want to bring to you a couple of of injury notes for the White Sox. This is from Tony La Russa before the game. He said, Luis Robert still not feeling right and will get further examined on Monday. He's doubtful to play for the rest of the series and obviously not in the lineup today. Um, they are, however, the White Sox, sounding a little more optimistic about Aloy Jimenez being available to pinch hit. So we might see Aloy today if the situation were to call upon. Also, this is in reference on not making an IL move. The trainers and Rick Hahn went through it, decided to get through the series, and the White Sox just felt like, hey, we can get through the series without having to call up someone from AAA across the way. So just uh, 
passing those injury notes along here as the White Sox will be without Luis Roberts. And hopefully we'll be getting Aloy Jimenez back sooner rather than later, especially if they can get him to pinch hit. That would certainly be a welcome sign. Aloy, remember, went down with that leg injury. That came uh, in that 2-1 to victory over the uh, Guardians the other day. So Aloy potentially could be back sooner rather than later at some point this weekend. Luis Robert, probably not going to see him for the rest of the series. But, hey, this all-star break coming at a pretty solid time for the White Sox to be able to get healthier, get some of these guys going. The one thing that may be a little untimely is let's say the White Sox pick off these next two games. They're going to have to continue that momentum through the four-day break and when they come back after that. So hopefully the White Sox can seize this momentum, hang on to it, and do it all again when they take on the Guardians out of the All-Star break. So White Sox will be without Luis Robert, but there's a chance we do see a little bit of Aloy Jimenez. When we come back, we will hear from Lucas Giolito. He's going to join us here on White Sox Weekly, and we'll get his thoughts on what he's made of the first half of the season, some of the things that have changed up with this team, what's been working for this team over the last couple of games as well. We'll hear from Lucas in just a little bit. Um, Before we do hear from Lucas, let's step aside 10 seconds for station identification. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. You're listening to White Sox Baseball. From the old National Bank studio on State Street, WMVP, WSHE, HD2, Chicago. A good karma brand's radio station. When we come back, Lucas Giolito will join us. Also, later on, before we wrap things up, I do want to go through some of the really important stuff that we've seen from Johnny Cueto. Has he been the most important player on this team through the first half of the season as we enter into the All-Star break? We'll talk with Lucas about that as well. That's coming up next. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. 2 o'clock today, we'll have the FanDuel White Sox pregame show for you starting at 1.30 here. Let's head on out to Minnesota and check in with White Sox starter Lucas Giolito. He joins us from the park right now. Good morning, Lucas. How are you feeling with this four-game winning streak? Yeah, it's been uh, a fun last few days here. Absolutely. Um, It's always better when you're winning, and we just want to make sure that we're keeping that up. Uh, kind of have a good close out of the first half here before the break and then uh, pick up where we left off when we get back. Yeah, so you, you bring up sustaining some of that momentum. Last year, you guys had a five-game win streak heading into the All-Star break. This year, you're going to take at least four of six heading into the All-Star break against teams above you in the division. What lessons are you guys planning to take from last year and implementing into this season of sustaining momentum through the All-Star break? Um, I think that, oh, well, I don't know, lessons from last year. Uh, I honestly don't really remember much about the uh, around the All-Star break time last year. Ken Ball Blair, <laughs> we played such a long season. Right, right. Uh, you know, the one thing... I remember from last year was I feel like we were playing very well pretty much all season long. And right towards the end of the season, there was maybe a little bit of a lull or a little bit of a drop off uh, before playoffs um, that I think that we've kind of collectively learned from. We want to make sure that 
uh, we're on a nice upswing um, going into the end of the season. Now, obviously, we're in a different position than we were last year, and it's going to take our best baseball to make sure that we secure a spot in the playoffs and um, put ourselves in a good position. So, I mean, really right now, uh, it's just coming to the field prepared and uh, trying to win, you know, really as many as possible. So this four-game winning streak coming against divisional opponents, what's been different over these last couple of days for the entire team? Uh, I think that we're just playing with a a really good level of energy. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, I think that when we were struggling earlier this year, uh, you know, we we had our minds on, you know, all the injuries and and maybe trying to press and trying to do trying to do more uh, you know, instead of just kind of every guy you know, knowing, hey, this is what I can contribute uh, today. Uh, you know, this is my role, and uh, just having fun with it. Um, you know, we're the, we're type of clubhouse. We're very tight knit. Uh, we have a lot of fun together. Uh, so we need to kind of bring that energy on the field, uh, and that that's usually going to lead to better results. And I, I I really feel like the last like week or so. Uh, we're we're having a lot more fun and and just kind of enjoying ourselves, and uh, that's leading to you know some better results here as well. Lucas Giolito is our guest here on White Sox Weekly. So Lucas, one of the things that you, you talk about fun there, and it just seems like you guys are playing with a lot more fun right now. And even in the dugout, you see Jose Abreu doing his slide down the dugout, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that made a lot of White Sox fans hold their breath, but everything, no harm, no foul there. But who's sort of the igniter of the fun that's reinvigorating this clubhouse right now? I I think a lot of guys can get credit right now. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned one big one, Jose Abreu, for sure. Uh, you know, he... <laughs> You never, you never know when he's going to pull something out like that. Was, Has he uh, done something similar pretty, to that? Was that the first time yeah, you've seen always, him do that? He'll always do very random things, uh, kind of out of nowhere when he gets excited uh, about a big moment or something like that. Uh, so you always got to stand your toes in the dugout. You, you never know what's coming. Um, you know, I, I want to I throw some credit to, to Josh Harrison as well. Absolutely. He's been... I mean, he's been amazing all, all year as far as keeping the energy going, and you know, we we kind of got we kind of got some new stuff going on with you know post game and uh, you know little game recaps. Everyone coming together, um, having having a nice moment uh, after after good wins. So uh, you know, Jay Hayes kind of been the lead of that. Um, but you know, really, I think everybody's just uh, like I said, um, just kind of doing their part each day, you know, not, not trying to be a hero or, or do too much um, or try harder. You know, it's like we're all pulling from the same rope and uh, it's just uh, leading to much better baseball overall for sure. So you guys are back at 500 trying to get above for the first time since May 22nd. You've been close a couple times, but just haven't been able to quite get over that hump. What do you feel like has held you guys back from getting above that 500 threshold? Uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier. I think um, it, it's a combination. I, obviously, earlier this year, 
we've been dealing with a ton of injuries. Um, and so it's, we could, we could kind of feel those like pieces missing in, in certain, certain cases when it, when it comes to like really getting on a nice roll. Um, whereas now we're in a much better spot as far as, you know, having guys back that we were missing earlier in the year. And so, uh, I think there's that level of comfort there. And then, Honestly, just like playing loose, playing free, uh, you know, keeping it keeping it going in that regard. Uh, you know, that's that's when like the sky could be the limit for us. Lucas Gilito with us here on White Sox Weekly. So, looking across baseball, the Orioles they just had a ten game winning streak snap. Seattle is right now on a twelve game winning streak. Do you guys inside the clubhouse, and those teams have really kind of changed the narrative of what their season could have been, maybe their approach at the trade deadline as well. Do you guys look at that and kind of talk amongst each other and say, that could be us, we could completely flip the narrative of what our first half was if we go on one of those runs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you, we, we'd obviously hope to do something like that, but um I don't think that, you know, a 10 game streak or more is something that you can force. Uh, you know, I guarantee you, you don't have the guys in the Seattle clubhouse right now. Like, okay, like what are we going to do now to make sure that we keep our winning streak going? You know what I mean? It's just something kind of happens when everyone's gelling. Uh, everyone's, you know, doing their part to, to go out and win those games. So uh, I think that the way we're playing right now, that's the way we need to play if we do want to pull something off like that. But, um, you know, it's not necessarily something that like we need to sit down and talk about like, okay, now now we need to hit our winning streak. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, just kind of go out there, keep playing hard and, and we'll see what happens for you as a player. When do you start to look at the standings? Mm, I feel like I, I, I peer in on the standings uh, throughout the year. There isn't necessarily like a set day where it's like, oh, now I need to start paying attention. Um, it's it's kind of, at least for me, like there's no harm in kind of knowing where we're at. Um, looking at you and your first half year, how would you assess uh, what you've done so far this season leading into the All-Star break? Oh, well, it was, I mean, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, started off the year very well, feeling good, uh, feeling pretty locked in. Um, obviously, I got injured, which I didn't want to have happen this year, uh, and it was on opening day, unfortunately, so I had to miss some time there. Come back, uh, like I said, feeling good, and then I get COVID, uh, and then after COVID, I got like maybe a couple of weeks later, I got some other virus. Uh, it was dealing dealing with a little bit of adversity early in the year for sure, um, and then one really really poor month. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's one of those ones where I wish we could get it back and kind of get a do over, but it's not how it works. So uh, went straight into you know adjustment mode. Got a. I was kind of in a in a weird spot mechanically and and mentally, so went to kind of refresh uh, full on adjustment mode, 
And now I feel like I'm in a much better position to go out and do my thing in the second half, help us win some games here. Lucas Giolito with us here on White Sox Weekly. So you've been an all-star before. A lot of people are upset that Dylan Cease isn't a first-time all-star this year. I saw some comments from Ethan Katz. Even your former teammate Carlos Rodon went out of his way to mention this. What conversations have you had with Dylan about coping with that? It's it's frustrating. I mean, I, I, I'm like pretty baffled um, along with a lot of other people. I don't really understand why he isn't an all-star uh, looking at his numbers. Um, that's just the way it goes sometimes, I guess. And it's really unfortunate. Uh, there's, there's no other way around it. He deserves to be there. Um, you know, whether he can pitch in the game or not, you know, based on it, it doesn't matter. Like he deserves that uh, recognition, that honor for how he's pitched in the first half here. Um so it's definitely a tough one. Uh, at the same time, the, the one thing I tell him is um, it's not like this is like his only opportunity. Uh, I think that he'll be an all-star plenty of times throughout his career. It's just unfortunately he kind of got the unfair end of it um, this first go-around. Uh, but it's... Uh, it's not something that I think is going to affect him at all. I mean, he knows how good he is. Um, he's got a pretty, pretty set, solid routine going where he's in a really good spot. And he's just going to keep pitching like he's pitching. Um, you know, the, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's the way game goes sometimes. So there was this report that came out about some friction in the clubhouse about a week ago now. It seems like everything's been shot down in terms of the validity of it, but what was your reaction when you saw that report come out about clicks and some tension within the clubhouse? Um, I was a little bit confused. Uh, I mean, I don't know if, you know, it's like are we just trying to create stories and narratives because we're not playing or we haven't been playing up to, obviously, the expectations. Um, but it, you know, maybe after a couple minutes of that, it's like, all right, cool. Back to the real world, you know? Right. Moving on. Um, you know, we got to, what do I, I got, I got my routine. I got stuff I got to do today. Uh, we got a game to win today. Uh, let's go and focus on that. One other pitcher that I want to talk about with you from your staff is Johnny Cueto. Just what has he mm -hmm. meant and, and just the, the overall life raft that, he's been thrown to you guys and, and the way that he's sort of uplifted this team. How important has Cueto's emergence been for this team? It's been, it's been absolutely massive. Um, you know, considering kind of where our pitching staff was at, uh, you know, when I was super underperforming, um, you know, when we, Lance was still coming back from injury, uh, you know, when, when we needed, we, we needed those innings, like very precious innings for starting pitcher to go out and, and, and eat, um, give the team a chance to win, uh, sign Johnny Cueto. And he's just been amazing. Um, not enough good things I can say, man, for real. Uh, he's been a very, very supportive teammate, obviously bringing in, uh, the wealth of experience and, and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to taking the ball, I mean, he's just been an absolute horse. Uh, you know, 
his last outing, he's sitting on a hundred something pitches, comes in the dugout, hey, one more Uno Mas and he goes out <laughs> and strikes out the side. Uh yeah, it's uh it's been a lot of fun to watch and obviously a huge boost for us. Lucas Giolito with us for a few more minutes here on White Sox Weekly. So I want to talk a little bit of broader baseball with you here. Uh, there was a lot made of the baseball itself in the first couple of months of the season. I remember Chris Bassett was very outspoken about it. Have you noticed a shift in the baseball from when you were thrown in April versus what you've been thrown in July? Um, I feel like there's a, it's almost as if there's been like kind of two baseballs in the mix. Um, one's a little, one's like a little tighter, um, maybe even like lighter feeling. Uh, and then there's one that's more like the way I describe it is like more squishy feeling. (laughs) So it's like almost Um, a tennis ball. Well, I mean, not, not like to the extent of a tennis Mm -hmm. ball, but essentially like it's just this feel thing. And, and uh, we kind of have this idea of like, which ones are the live ones, which ones are the dead ones. Um, But at the same time, you don't really know. No one really knows like exactly what's going on. Uh, It is a little strange. Um, And then last night, uh, the, the balls Michael was using, uh, maybe even seemed a little bit different from that, and they were definitely more like much more on the slicker side. Uh, I know that he was having some issues with, with grip early in the game. So, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been an adventure. So, knowing that if you're getting two different batches of balls, I mean, do you call for different balls? Does it change how you approach different hitters and stuff like that? Um, it's the thing is like, we don't really know, like, this is all like just guessing and, and kind of trying to feel things out. Uh, you know, we don't know any information. Like we just get the balls in the game. Uh, every once in a while, you know, get one and it's like, Oh, this one feels a little weird. You can throw it out, get a new one. Um, but it's more like when we're sitting in the dugout and getting foul balls and stuff is when we're like kind of going into research mode and (laughs) trying to figure out in the lab. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, it's, it's hard, you know, we're just using like eye and field tests. Uh, Last thing that I got for you here, but um, next week, the Florida state league is going to be experimenting with defensive shifts and they're doing that pie, uh, those pie lines on the, the grass starting July 22nd. As a pitcher, how do you feel about banning shifts or tinkering with the rules about how you can shift? Um, I, I don't have too much of an opinion on it. Um, I feel like historically for me, it, it's funny because you remember all the times the shift screws you over. Uh, those are the times that really stick out in your brain. It's like, man, that would have been just a, double play ball, but now it's a single and there's runners on first and second or first and third. Uh, I think I haven't looked at the numbers in a little, little bit. I think the shift has like historically helped me. Um, I've been like a guy that benefits from it, but I, I really feel like at the end of the day, like it's, mostly going to end up at like kind of 50 50 um a lot of hitters make adjustments like for example gavin sheets on our side 
Um, I'm sure you've seen him like start to like hit that ball to beat the ship the other way, uh, get a bunch of singles that way. Um, so, yeah, I'm. It's not really something I've ever like had a strong opinion on. You'd probably have to ask an infielder. Lucas Giolito, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck the rest of the way, and enjoy your All-Star break. All right, appreciate it. That's White Sox starter Lucas Giolito. Hey, join the White Sox as they take on the Oakland Athletics on Saturday, July 30th at 6.15. Get to the ballpark early as the first 20,000 fans will receive a mini Minoso replica Hall of Fame plaque presented by Rush. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. White Sox Weekly returns after this. Black and Abdallah, weeknights at 6 on ESPN 1000. Wrapping things up here on White Sox Weekly, we will have the FanDuel White Sox pregame show coming up at 1.30. First pitch from Target Field at 2 o'clock. White Sox and Twins. White Sox in the middle of a four-game winning streak right now. They'll try to stretch it out against Dylan Bundy and the Twins. Lance Lynn gets the ball for the White Sox today. Lynn 1-2 and two with a 6.97 ERA. Bundy 5-4 and four with a 4.68 ERA. Um, and the White Sox trying to get within two games of the AL Central lead there. And Len and DJ will have your first pitch. Tyler Aki in for Connor McKnight today. Connor will have your play-by-play tomorrow alongside Darren Jackson. Do want to remind you to join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only $15. Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. Before we get out of here, as this is the final series before the All-Star break, in the final couple games before the All-Star break, I do want to bring up that as we enter this All-Star break for the White Sox, sitting at 45 and 45 right now, a guy who deserves a lot of credit, and I talked a little bit about it with with Lucas Giolito, and if you missed any of that, you can find the White Sox weekly podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. Johnny Cueto deserves a lot of credit for what he has done to keep this team afloat. I'm not saying he's necessarily an all-star, but I think he's been the most important player for the White Sox through this first half of the season, through the first 90 games. He missed a month because he was ramping up in the minor leagues after the White Sox signed him. And when he made his debut on May 16th, I think a lot of White Sox fans were like, yeah, what are we going to get out of a guy like Johnny Cueto? What's Johnny Cueto going to be like? Is he going to be a guy that can step in and contribute right away? Or is he going to look like a 36-year-old pitcher who hasn't had a lot of time to get ready? And especially this year where they're implementing the pitch clock as well in minor leagues, what's it going to be like when he's kind of playing with different rules? But he has come together and put together nine quality starts. It's the most by any White Sox pitcher. Nine of his 11 starts this season have been quality starts. And, oh, by the way, there was that game against Texas back on June 12th where he came out of the bullpen off of three days rest because the White Sox needed him to, and he put them in a position to win that game. Ultimately, they did not, but he put the White Sox in a position to win that game. 
And Johnny Cueto deserves a ton of credit. And to me, he is the MVP of the first half for the White Sox. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thank you to Eric Ostrowski, Jake Cantu, Charlie Bevins for their help producing today. Thank you to Jesse Rogers as well as Lucas Giolito for joining us. The FanDuel White Sox pregame show is coming up next on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. <laughs>